0: Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured her feet on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, but she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One of them owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, (coughs) <coughs> I suppose where you had the bigger debt forgiven, you have judged correctly. Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet all days and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You do not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this? Who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, everyone. It's lovely to be here. Um, Something, lots of strange things have happened to me recently, um, that's all connected to this passage. Uh, Not least, but a few days ago, my eyes started watering, and um, so it looks like I'm crying, but I'm not actually crying. Says, um, and I had to get some ointment for them, which actually isn't that It's quite hard for me to see, um, so it sort of blurs in and out. Um, but the the weeping tears and the ointment all seem to put into the passage. And then this morning I came by taxi. It's um, so just all these little things remind me how God speaks to us in so many different ways, you know okay. Just through God's word, just while we pray. But when I got a taxi because I, I find it hard to park here and I must have been late when I'm preaching, um, and the taxi pulled up, I got into the car and it had the radio on. Um, I'm sure lots of you won't know this song, it's Tina Turner, Private Dancer. And uh, it played all the way, it, was, it sort of just started when I got in the car. And for those of you who don't know, it's the song of um, it's the words of a prostitute, a private dancer, who, and it's, you know, I'm a private dancer, dancer for money, any old reason will do. And there's a yearning in there to be loved, and, which I haven't thought of. And I've really immersed myself in this passage, but I hadn't really thought of that. And to God for saying, is somebody like this, maybe somebody like this, even as I was coming to church in the class? It's really surprising. And then Hannah stands up and puts up a picture of something that's been working with private dancers and all you think ever. So that's interesting, isn't it? Totally surprising to me. And God does surprise us. it's rather wonderful. Well, also, this sermon series did touch my heart, and uh, some people don't know this. My group is it now. but um, for many years, I've felt um, very kind of reclusive and hitting myself away in my in my house and uh, uh, kept myself to myself. And I think partly that's because um, I'm quite a quite visible person outside, maybe, and I just want that privacy. But it, it really got to the point where I didn't want anyone to come in, and I, didn't, and I knew, I suppose, a couple of years ago that maybe that wasn't really how it should be. So, um, following this series about eating you know, meals with Jesus, I thought I really have got to do something about it. this. is quite wrong, that I'm very happy to go eat with everyone else, but I don't want anyone to come in with me. And uh, I chanced upon a, something that's an American pastor called well, scruffy, suppers, scruffy Suppers. And he, he was basically saying that um, there are the whole, the whole hospitality thing can get a little bit out of control. Maybe that's what I felt, they said that you have to have the perfect armchairs, the perfect this, the perfect table, cloth, decorations, candles, you know, all of those things. And if you invite someone for dinner, you know, there's like kind of frantic, tidying up people and doing get the right china, to blah blah, some of you smiling, you recognise this uh, kind of stress that happens. And maybe I was aware of that and I, I just can't cope with that know. But the scruffy stuff is one where you give 24 hours notice hour or less, and uh, you, you don't know your full numbers till about an hour and a half before you eat, and people come and find you as well. It's, it's like that. So I thought, like, this was rattling around in my head, and I thought, I really must try this. So I had gone to Wells with Simon, and I thought, yeah, I'm going to do it. So that night, I invited the home group, I thought I'll start there. Um, and so I invited them all, I sent them an email, something about Scottie Saunders, Mark One, explaining the situation. And I did originally set it for Friday and then realised that Brenda had to have gone like a terrible trouble, thank goodness I saw it so it's 48 hours it for Saturday. And, uh, and eight people showed up, which was which was lovely. However, I was stressed out, let me tell you, it was really painful for me. Um, I don't think it tasted very good. I'm trying to be objective here. It was very kind, it was fine. Simon did make a comment about the best of pick stew the wheat based on the flour. Because I uh-huh. couldn't taste the flour. I didn't know you could taste the flour when I hastily put together scrubby stew. <laughs> um, anyway, the birds were comparing that. Simon very kindly brought truly irresistible or taste the difference say it's apple pie. So it was it was okay and then it got to coffee and tea and I've forgotten to my coffee now and blah, blah blah blah. And eventually I sort of put everyone into front of me because sits I might nice and in my head I'm sorry this week came in my head I'm thinking and then will you please go? <laughs> I'm
0: sorry, I'm sorry to say that it was so stressful.
1: So what everyone was talking about or said or uh, conversed about during whole of that time not for a glue. I do not remember any of it at all, standing here now. But it was such an important step for me, and I'm so grateful to the people who came. And I will do scrub up two. Francis asked me to not make it, but so I promise I will do another one. And maybe that time I'll just be a little bit calmer. Uh, in, you know. So that was that was one thing that has come out of this. And the other thing was that. Um, uh, when we came up in church a couple of weeks ago, um, I was given the blue. Um, you know, we took the card away, and mine had on it um, <coughs> a different incident in the Bible where someone is anointed with oil, and eh, um, the, the pure nard, and uh, and I thought that was just completely creepy, you know, that I picked that up, and the whole fortnight has been a bit like that for me, really. Um, and I really thought long and hard about that perfume and what it was and, and what it meant. And the more I looked into it, it's sort of the case um, when you're studying the Bible and you're trying to connect the past and what the alabaster jar of perfume was then and what it meant, and was it there, was it nard, what is not, I'm trying to find that out. That's the story. You know, what, what is it useful? Was it this? Was it another? What was it? Um, and, uh, but it they can, they can take you to lovely places. But what it did remind me of was that for um, Christmas this year, my son, who is very poor, gave me this box of perfume, Le on. And uh, actually, a long time ago, somebody Lovely. gave me a bottle of this um, and it was pure perfume and it was in a Lalique crystal jar um, and he said to me I just didn't know what to get you but I remember when I was little I saw that in your room, and I thought it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen um, and I thought oh, I just gone to a charity shop or something, <laughs> there's a little crystal bottle this is not another crystal bottle but it, for him you know him having no money at all, it, it was, it's one of those things, it's too generous, you know, it's, it's too, as his mother, it's one of those flash, you know, of his apparently you know, Quite nice, actually. I'll just give you a few squads. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am I am keeping him, you know, I'm for all three children, I'm. T- they're totally dependent on me. Not that they want to be, but that's how it is. So really, I would never spend this on me, That's the, it's a tricky one. And then me that as soon as I like opened the box, as soon as I took the cellophane ranking off, as soon as I opened it, I couldn't take you back to the shop and get the money back, do you know what I mean? <laughs> and I guess that's what happened. It, you imagine that, that bottle of expensive perfume, that as soon as it was opened, it had to be used? And then imagine, it got, I know I'm can talk about another passage, but imagine the whole lot, the whole lot is then emptied, you know, over Jesus' head. And um, I, did, I did look on eBay to see if I could find the old bottle that um, that I heard and there were some news ones available for three hundred pounds. Imagine tipping... it wasn't three hundred pounds announced. But uh, but imagine tipping three hundred pounds of stuff over someone's head. Anyway, so I've just been in a bit of a kind of Simon Farrisley's house for quite a long time now, so I'm really glad to (laughs) be here to talk about so all I want to do is to share about this story with you. And I want to ask you to consider who you are, you know, which part of the story um, speaks to you, um, which character in the story. There are three main characters, Jesus, Simon, who's a Pharisee, and a woman who, whose name we are not given. Actually, that's another funny thing that happens last night. I mean, God is amazing, is he not? So um, having I thought we'd put this all to, to bed as it were. Uh, I thought a lot. This woman has no name, and I wonder why Simon the Pharisee is given a name, but this woman is given no name. And I wondered if it was perhaps to protect her reputation that if if her name was given in a hostile kind of environment, that that would have done her no favours at all. And so perhaps out of respect, um, she wasn't, uh, she's not named, we don't know who she, who she is. Perhaps that's the reason. So before I went to bed last night, I watched QI. I don't know if anyone else watched QI. What are the chances that on QI up comes something about Mary Magdalene and the Pope saying, did you see it? And the Pope saying that um, Mary Magdalene wasn't awesome, actually a sinner. She was wrongly associated with this woman in Luke's gospel. We actually talked about this passage on Q1 last night. I
0: thought,
1: <laughs> really? That's amazing. So, not So, apparently remember my turn was a good one. I mean, as opposed to this one. They're both good. So, uh, a bit of background. So, we, we seem to be here in Galilee, in a smallish town that isn't named um, we're not too far away just to go back a page um, we're not too far away from Jesus um, uh, talk to everyone playing at uh, the beginning of chapter 6 I'm struggling to read through my blurry eyes you know when a large crowd gathers and he says blessed Jesus, are you who are poor yours as the kingdom of God blessed, blessed are you who hunger now um, Woe to you who are rich and you who are to receive your comfort. So it's blessing of and love your enemies. Maybe this woman heard him speaking. We don't know. But that's pre- prior to this. He's, he's ministering in and around Galilee. This is a rural economy at this time. And I was interested to point out that we are between two recessions in Galilee at this time. So that pressure on people to manage, especially um, peasants and people living from the land, was hard. And their taxes and tithes were increasing and putting quite a burden on them. So at the time that he was writing it would link up with the time, you know, when Paul was collecting for the, for the difficulties that people were having back in Israel. So a difficult time and... We know that in a recession, don't we, that people really struggle and debts mount and it's hard. Um, And we are at the meal. And in this house, in this meal, um, the Pharisee is is the person hosting. And he would have had a relatively nice house with a courtyard and an open. Opening onto a dining area. The table would have been U shaped like this so that the servants could come and serve across the table in the middle part and then stand on the outside. Which is what I mean. And people had couches to lie on against the table. So that explains why um, this woman could. <laughs> Behind Jesus, but at his
0: feet, whilst he was looking into the table. Do you
1: think? Yeah. Okay, before I'm before i Very far. <laughs> so, here, so I think that's the nature. I think mean, I can think about meal times at this point, where the particular groups would meet together. So, the Pharisees, who very much saw themselves as separate, would choose to eat with Pharisees. They would not want to be anywhere near people who they saw as sinners because their purpose in life to be pure for God was to make sure that everything they did kept them clean, richly clean, and away from sinners, dodgy people. You know? They wanted to keep themselves pure and always be with the right kind of people, and that was really, really important for them. actually in my reading I found that other groups of people tended to sit together as well. So you had inner circles and outer circles. And sometimes at these meals, different levels, uh, perceived levels of hierarchy would be fed different meals. So the best you know, say the best people would get the best wine, and then uh, the next tier down would get the best good wine, so and is an interesting um, documentation that. <coughs> so here we have This particular house belongs to Simon the Pharisee, slightly open, and this woman is there when um, Jesus arrives at the house. We know that because uh, when he speaks later, he says that ever since I got here, she has been doing these things. So she must have got there first. So let's think a little bit about her. She, somewhere, she heard Jesus speaking. She heard about what he'd done. She'd heard about him healing the sanctuary in the circle. She'd heard something. And something in her wanted her life to be different. Her life meant that, especially before, before Pharisees, she was seen as an absolute outcast. So to go into this house, And seen by those people has been deeply humiliating, deeply humiliating. But something within her, in her heart, drove her to go there. She wanted to meet Jesus. She wanted to reach out and touch, that the woman who touched Jesus' hand. She wanted to reach out and touch him and uh, say, Thank you. but how can she get there? This is the thing. How can you go and just get an audience with Jesus? There are lots of people alive today that I do large audience with, and it's impossible. You know, I can't just phone them up. You know, I can't do it. So this woman has thought really, really carefully how am I going to get to this place? And it seems to me one possible thing, I'm not saying this is it. We've got just bare bones of the story here. But one possible thing is, she knew that part of the ritual of having a meal, the first part was that people's feet were washed. And we know that from other stories in the gospel. She knew that special guests had their head anointed with oil. That's another thing. And we know that she she was aware of this kind of pre. Cursor to the actual sitting down part, eating part of the meal, and she knew there would be servants on the outside. but it's possible that she did to herself, "I will take with me as maybe that's what she did my alabaster, sorry, this is alabaster, my alabaster um, pot boy, and I will be a servant, and when the opportunity arrives, I arise." I will go and note his feet after they've been washed. Now, for somebody to think like that, that requires quite a lot of daring, doesn't it, quite a lot of what the Jews call chutzpah, it it really does take a lot of nerve and a lot of courage to figure out a way to to, 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 to find a way into somebody else's home in order to reach out to something. So this woman, but obviously, enough, she was fed up with how her life was, and she finds herself in this place. The other character, Simon, the Pharisee, so he would be perceived today, I suppose, to be somebody like us in the church sat in the house. They're always, the Pharisees have criticized all the way through the Gospels, there's nothing really good said about them, for being those people that set themselves apart. They're very interested in self-reheading, you know, the mind stuff. They're very interested in the rules. They're very interested in doing the right thing according to. And they weren't just interested in the law, but they were interested in all the other little rules, not so much written down in the Old Testament, which prevented you from breaking <coughs> the other law. And they obviously enjoyed talking about it, the and they were part of the community. And they kept themselves together, which suggests that at and there are other Pharisees there too. Now, Simon decides that he wants to ask Jesus to come for dinner. Why does he decide that? What makes him think that he has the wherewithal to do it? He makes the invitation and Jesus comes along really easily. What was going on in his head there? And when we hear his inner thoughts, which Jesus discerns, and um, when he says to himself, she says, and she can't read through her hands, yeah, I'm sorry, um, uh, you know, he questions whether or not Jesus is a prophet um Prior to inviting him for dinner, he thought to himself, "Is this man a prophet? Could this man be a prophet? Could what he's saying be true? You know, could it be real? Could he actually be someone who could join our group, uh, the group of the Pharisees, and help us? And he's got all these followers, let's have him round for dinner. Let's find out more. You know, and you." Interested in a similar way to the woman. But it was all in his head, if you know what I mean, but it was all up here. And what he sees then, because as as this plays out, what he sees is the woman then coming up behind Jesus and reaching out for her for his feet. And there's a point, and it must be quite a, a song really, where he suddenly realises it's not one of his servants. This is a well-known woman of the town. And maybe some of the others recognised him. I mean, maybe some of the others knew her in ways in which they shouldn't, let's be honest. Could have been a bit of a, or something, I don't know. Um, they suddenly realised he was in their midst. And now, His heart might have been open in his head. He's thinking he can't be a prophet because he's now contaminated by allowing this woman to touch him, so therefore he can't understand. He can't, if he was a prophet, he'd recognize that she was a sinner and unclean. And he's letting her touch him, so he can't understand that. That's what's going on inside his head. So, meanwhile the woman who really I wish she had her name has come here and she's found her moment but she must be surprised that no one has washed Jesus's feet. That this is what the rules were, this is what was supposed to happen. And so her moment comes when he's lying down on the couch by the table, the wheels started and chatting to each other, and she comes along to his feet. Now at this point at the feet of Jesus, something happens inside her, something which many of you sure know, where you're just suddenly overwhelmed by your smallness against God's infiniteness, by this humility, this, hum- this humbling of realising fully who you are and how it's all gone on and and yet the hope and the promises of the future represented in this man. The comes at that moment where she has shown herself, revealed to herself in front of these other people at his feet. And the tears flow out of her and she can't stop them. You know, I, mean, I don't imagine that she's wailing loudly or anything. It's more like a full contract of so just dripping, dripping,
0: dripping. And those tears hit Jesus' feet. And then she must notice that his, his
1: feet. Haven't been washed, and the dust there is is being washed away with the lenses as tears fall down. So now he has wet feet, and so she takes her hair, which actually I found out wasn't an unusual thing for servants to let people um, dry their hands on their hair. Interesting concept. Um, So it wasn't an unusual thing, and she dries his feet, and then she takes the, um, the the jar that she's brought with her and tips it onto his feet. At this point, um, whilst I try and get my eyesight back, you all have in your keys some ointment, And I just want you, if you don't mind, and I don't know if it's, it's from Crabtree tree level which mercifully was closing down and I thought it was incredibly cheap, but just imagine that's a real size of. Um, if you were a sulphurologist or anything you know like that, you know. Don't take it. But if you'd like to spread it on your hands and have a good robbing session, I'm hoping that we will get a sense of over those ordinary smells of food and everything else, this wafting of something beautiful. So join if you feel able. If you don't, that's fine, but we need to pass on cheese along because I don't have enough money to buy everybody am oh, sorry. It may have been that. And Jesus sees Simon's heart. And he sees, I think, that it's just Simon's head that's operating when he thinks um, that, that you know, what kind of woman is this? She's a sinner. And Jesus answered him Simon, I have something to tell you. Which is the kind of thing to say. And Simon, although he is thinking, I should pass this around. He's he's making my place dirty. He says, tell me, teacher, and speaks to him in a respectful way. And then Jesus tells a story about the two people who owed money. One, a year and a half's wages. And one, a month and a half's wages. So that's roughly what he puts out to. So whatever you your income is, your daily income is, whatever it is, you can do maths, salary, a year and a half of your income, or a month and a half of your income. And he says, two people have these debts, and they were both forgiven. Which one do you think will love the debt of law? Which one? And as though there's though, verse 43, Simon replies, I suppose the one who had
0: the bigger debt forgiven. He's always saying it in a little bit nervously,
1: to say there must be a trick in this question. And Jesus says, Maybe no, you have judged this correctly. And he looks at the woman then, so he turns towards woman, which means now that his back, if you can imagine this, it means that his back is now to Simon. And he in answering Simon, he is quickly is facing the woman and says, Do you see this woman? I came into your house and he goes through the things which any good Pharisee, obeying all the rules, should have done, but didn't. He should have washed his feet. He should have kissed him. He should have anointed his with oil. and he reminds Simon that he did none of those things. quite a shaming thing for Simon not to have followed those rules, but, he says, this woman who actually has weighed this blue, has done all these things for me and brought with her her own uh, perfume and has not stopped kissing me since I came in. And in this, using this analogy, he's explaining to Simon that her love is greater because she knows that she is forgiven more. And you know, the reason that she knows she's forgiven more is because she's reached out to Jesus with her heart. And she knows, it, he knows everything about her. And she knows
0: that she's completely
1: forgiven in the same way. And it's glorious then to, to associate being forgiven with the sense of being made debt-free is an amazing thing. I, I have been in debt in my time, and it's a horrible, horrible, shameful kind of burden that you can't talk about to anyone. And if it's lifted, it's totally free. And sin, and going the wrong way, and getting stuck in the wrong kind of stuff can be like that. But at this point, she understands that Jesus is set her free completely forgiven her. It's amazing. But Simon, who actually has done some stuff wrong here, just doesn't get it here. He only gets it here. And he therefore, Jesus is going on to explain, has been forgiven little, loves little. It's interesting, isn't it? And still facing the woman, he says to her, your sins are forgiven. Now at this point, and then it, it, finally, he says, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Because your faith made you walk all this way. Your faith in me, from what you heard of me, or you saw the distance on the plane, made you walk all this way, do all these things, take actions, and your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Meanwhile, a lot Pharisees around the table are saying amongst themselves, Who is this person who even forgives sins? And they're still, they're like me, they can't see well. They still don't really get what's happening. They don't see it. They don't understand that to be forgiven, they need to be humble. I think um, there's something important here for us to ask ourselves is how can we remain humble when we know that we are part of God's kingdom? How can we ensure that we still remember, that we still recognize the sinner in ourselves? I and mean, some of us have probably had amazing conversion experiences from down here to all this forgiveness, some less so. But we need to remember that and to be able to remember that Jesus came actually for sinners. He didn't come for this exclusive group. Like Pharisees that stay together. He didn't come for the insiders, he came for the outsiders. He came for the people who are who don't get it, who want to but don't understand. So the kingdom of God is for everyone who doesn't know Jesus. Those are the ones that love him the most. That's it's loves him the most. But the ones who are the sinners love him the most. And that's a really important thing for us because it's easy for us to think that we're doing everything right, we're behaving in the right way. We always need to remember it's more than that the Pharisees really saw sin a bit like a goblin or something like that just stay away, keep keep safe keep the protective garments on you meet something that's a bit dodgy have nothing to do with them and you will remain pure but that isn't how Jesus operates at all, it's quite the opposite, he reaches out and raises them and wants to help them and wants them to be healed And this also then applies to our worship, to remind us that when we're worshipping God, we are at Jesus' feet, we are humble, and it's there at his feet, at the foot of the cross, that God can speak to us. Worship is giving with our whole hearts and receiving into our hearts. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for this passage, for making us, with hearts and minds, help us, Lord, to be open to you, to receive from you, and to be brave
0: for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.